Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Moline, tell us what we're listening to. We are listening to Bach's Easter Oratorio. Uh, it's uh, work number 249 of his uh, in his uh, collected works. And uh, it's uh, just kind of a cool piece. It has a the piece... This is the third movement. The movement right before this is very somber and slow and depicts the women going to the tomb. And then we have this movement here, which uh, has that great joy of Easter with the trumpets and the choir uh, singing, Hurry, hasten to the tomb. Let's go and uh, double-check and make sure he's alive at the good news that that brings. Okay, you be quiet, and we're going to listen for a little while, and then we're going to come back and talk. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We're looking at the Easter season. about you but i could listen to that all day if that doesn't get you in the mood for easter and the easter celebration and the easter season i don't know what does this is pastor clint poppy good shepherd lutheran church in lincoln nebraska along with me is pastor adam moline we are uh looking at the season of easter and pastor moline has been um 
working very, very hard with his new program, bringing Bach back, uh, premiering this week with regard to the uh, season of Easter, and there'll be a new program each week uh, or every other week. Every other week. Every other week coming out, and then by next year we'll get caught up and have one each week. But uh, this piece is not included in your Easter bringing Bach back program. Pastor, uh, you gave us a little bit when we were talking over the music. I hated to do that. But tell us a little bit more about what we've been listening to and the joy that is encapsulated in that music from Johann Sebastian Bach. Yeah, the, I think the words are just even neat to hear. Um, Come, hurry, and run, you swift feet. Get to that cave that covers Jesus. Laughter and jokes accompany our hearts, for our Savior is raised from the dead. And uh, the part that repeats over and over again is that uh, get to the cave, laughter, and jokes part. And uh, just kind of a neat thing to uh, talk about the joy that comes with Christ being raised from the dead, risen indeed, alleluia, amen. Just kind of a cool thing. Yes, and that's uh, that's kind of hard for Christians to sometimes grasp, but because of Christ's victory over sin, death, and the grave, we can laugh at death. We can make jokes about death because we know the grave is not the end. The grave is but the portal or the transition from life everlasting in a sin-filled world here to life everlasting fully and completely with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to talk today at uh, during this episode of At Home in Your Hymnal a little bit about the Easter season. Our last three episodes, we've been looking at uh, the Triduum, getting prepared for our celebration of Easter, the somber nature of the three days, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, the transition that gets made in the Easter vigil, going from darkness to light, going from death to life, and uh, preparing us for the joy of Easter. And one of the things that has been kind of a a common greeting for Christians throughout the ages, and Christian churches generally do this at least for a week or two on Easter and around uh, Easter season, is the uh, greeting where one person will say, Christ is risen, and the other person will respond, He's risen indeed. Alleluia, alleluia, amen. So what's the significance of that Easter greeting, Pastor? It's actually one that goes back into the very ancient church. In fact, uh, we have it recorded in Greek uh, in some of the early uh, Christian texts. Christos aneste, aneste alethos, alleluia, amen. Uh, And uh, it's just uh, uh, kind of a neat way to greet each other as Christians during the Easter season because uh, it proclaims the reason that we have hope and joy and peace and comfort uh, in this lifetime, that death is not our end, but instead that uh, we have victory in Jesus. And uh, what better way to say that than hello? It kind of comes out of that uh, early uh, Greek language. The way people said hello was kairata, uh, which means essentially grace. And um, that really went really well into the Christian faith, uh, and Paul starts a lot of his epistles this way, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father. Our sermons start that way, uh, but now uh, at the Easter season we talk about the reason that we have that grace, uh, which is Christ is raised from the dead. Alleluia. Amen. What separates Christians from uh, other faith traditions is the fact that 
Jesus was dead, stone cold dead, Good Friday dead, and on Easter Sunday, the stone cold dead body of Jesus came back to life, resurrected. Uh, Muhammad lived, died, and is still dead. Buddha, Confucius, Zoroastria, uh, all lived, died, and are still dead. Right. People want to talk about uh, David Koresh or some other modern-day Messiah-type figure, Jim Jones. Uh, they died, and they're still dead. There is only one who has been resurrected from the dead, and that is Jesus Christ, and that's why we celebrate. And that brings me to the next uh, the next question that I have for you, Pastor. Most people, whether they're Christians or not, are aware that Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. Whether they believe it or not uh, is a different different topic, but they know that that's what Easter is. But Easter is more than a day. Easter is an entire season. A few words about the season of Easter. Well, the, the season of Easter uh, doesn't just celebrate that one day that Christ rose from the dead, but instead it also celebrates the entire time uh, that uh, people were learning about this. It wasn't just that first day. Of course, many discovered that day. Uh, but there was a whole period of time between uh, the day of resurrection and the time Christ descended into heaven where Jesus interacted with and spoke to the disciples and other people, uh, St. Paul says over 500 people, in fact, uh, after he had been killed. Uh, he, he talked to them about why he had come and what his purpose was and uh, uh, even kind of laid the foundation for what the work of the church would be after he ascended into heaven. And so it's for that entire season that the resurrected Christ appeared at various times and places uh, on earth uh, and spoke with people. We have several recorded for us in scripture. Uh, we have, of course, the time Jesus appeared um, in the upper room, the, the evening of first Eve the first Easter to uh, the 11 disciples. We have the next week where he appeared to Thomas and the other disciples. Uh, we have the time that he appeared to the disciples as they were uh, fishing, and Jesus appeared on the shore roasting fish and told them to uh, throw their nets down, and they caught another miraculous catch of fish. We have all these times uh, that take up these days between Easter and the Ascension. In uh, the Manual for the Liturgy, and this is a book from the uh, 70s. It was made specifically for the Lutheran Book of Worship, but there's a lot of carryover with uh, regard to Lutheran worship in general. Uh, I want to read from pages 25 and 26 with regard to the season of Easter and then get your response. Easter is to be understood as the crown of the whole year, the queen of feasts, and as such, it lasts not for a day, not for a week, but for a week of weeks. A week made up not of seven days, but of seven weeks. So the Sundays of this season are called Sundays of Easter. It is one extended feast. The Ascension and the following Sunday are understood not as a separate season, as in the past, but as a continuation of the Easter celebration within this week of weeks. The 40-day period of preparation for Easter is thus succeeded by 50 days of rejoicing. The Gospels for the Sundays of Easter present the themes of resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit as aspects or stages of the Easter mystery. Your comments or your thoughts on uh, that explanation for the season of Easter. 
I think that's very true, and I think that emphasizes how important uh, Easter is in itself. That these other events that take place during the time don't supersede Easter, and rather they become a part of this Easter. And in fact, I would say, really, every time we come to church on a Sunday morning is a little Easter in a way. Uh, and so uh, it's just such a great and important season in that regard that it supersedes everything else that we believe as Christians. And that's why Christians worship on Sunday. Yeah. Um, you know, the Sabbath is a Saturday, but Christians worship on Sunday as a remembrance that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. We're free. And, We're free, but we are we freely choose to worship on Sunday. And even the name Easter itself is important in understanding what happens. Uh, the tomb that Christ arose from faces the east, and so uh, the name Easter itself comes because the door to the grave was pointed that direction, and that's the way Jesus came out. He went towards the east out of the tomb, and so that's the name itself. And that's how people are buried today, facing the east. We're going to take a short break. This is At Home in your hymnal. We're looking at the season of Easter. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. You may think we've gone into a time warp. What in the world was that? We, uh, in our first segment here on episode 14 of At Home in Your Hymnal, we're looking at Easter and the season of Easter. We had all kinds of trumpets and joy and laughing and joking about death and uh, the prelude or the intro uh, tro that we had to segment two here on episode 14 was a stark contrast. Pastor, give us a little bit about that intro and then set us up for what we want to listen to, the hymn of the day for Easter Sunday. Yeah, the intro that uh, for this particular segment is from a different piece by Bach. It's his um, cantata for Christ Jesus Lay in Death Strong Bands. That particular song was written by Martin Luther. It's his great Easter hymn. It's probably not the Easter things we're used to. It doesn't have the bright trumpets and all that, but instead it is much more somber. And um, the you can kind of tell that listening to the symphony that introduces that particular cantata. Uh, the next thing we're going to hear is... Uh, verse 2 of that, which is famous for uh, talking about how death has lost its sting. And as we listen to verse 2, you can hear 
the sopranos singing in such a way that it kind of reminds you of a bee stinging you or something stinging you. You can hear that sting of death throughout it all, uh, but you also have that promise of victory in Jesus Christ, uh, overcome, uh, overcoming death in the grave by his glorious resurrection. And this hymn is in our hymnal. It uh, is. At home in your hymnal. Unfortunately, it is not a very familiar hymn in many congregations. It's not easy to sing. It is... Um, uh, kind of countercultural, uh, as you mentioned, it doesn't have the uh, "He's risen, He's risen" kind of joy, or Jesus Christ is risen today with all the hallelujahs. It's a different way to look at and to approach Easter, and we're going to talk about that after we listen to this hymn. But this is verse two of "Christ Jesus Lay." in Death Strong Bands from Johann Sebastian Bach. And it is, um, it is, I'm talking here while I'm trying to do two things at one time. It is uh, written by Martin Luther and uh, enjoy, uh, I had verse one here, enjoy verse two.
I got to be honest with you, Pastor, that does not sound like an Easter hymn. Teach us a little bit about what's going on, not only in that verse, but also with regard to this great hymn by Martin Luther, Christ Jesus Lay in Death Strong Bands, and that was uh, Bach's composition of verse 2 of that hymn. Yeah, it, it doesn't sound like Easter. Uh, maybe the best way to kind of describe why it is still an Easter hymn, and that is still an Easter setting of it, is uh, the end of the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, when uh, Frodo uh, has his finger bit off and the, the ring goes into the lava, and uh, all of his friends are fighting this hopeless battle against all these orcs, and all of a sudden they look and they see the volcano exploding, the tower falling down, all the enemies fall into the ground before them, and they're all excited and happy. And then uh, they look again, and they see that Frodo probably won't survive. And there's this sadness about all the friends they've lost, about the fact that maybe uh, though they've won, they're still in this difficult situation. That's the same sort of thing with Easter. Christ has been raised from the dead, and yet we still in this world deal with death and suffering and sorrow and pain. And yet we still have that refrain at the end, Alleluia. That verse talks about the fight between death and life that's going on, and it's something that all of us still deal with. Uh, we know we have victory and, and peace and comfort and joy because of what Jesus has done, but one day our loved ones will still die. One day we ourselves will face death and, and loss and pain. Um, and so that now but not yet war that we've talked about so many other times is still going on, and it still feels sorrowful and and, uh, difficult even as we uh, have that joy of Easter. And so that particular verse there acknowledges that. Now later on, of course, the other verses, you still have the Easter joy that comes out, uh, but I think it's wise to acknowledge the reality of still living in a sinful world while we have that joy and peace and comfort. This is probably a good point, uh, place to talk about uh, what the early Christians uh, emphasized so much, and that is the eighth day theology. Uh, you know, we, we uh, here in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska and around, we have a lot of uh, Seventh-day Adventists. Well, Christians are eighth-day Christians. Uh, we have eight sides on most of our baptismal fonts. We talk a lot about that eighth day because the eighth day is the first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, a minute or two, Pastor, on this eighth day theology and how that ties in to what you just said about the reality of the Christian living in a sinful, fallen world where pain and sorrow and death is very, very real. Well, uh, the eighth day is uh, the eighth uh, number eight is the day of recreation, of eternity, of uh, of joy. Uh, if you go back and look, uh, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. If you count that as day one, uh, he is uh, crucified then later and laid in the tomb and rests on day seven, uh, reflecting the same uh, uh, days that uh, God created the world with in the very beginning. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Day six, he's killed. Day seven, he rests in the tomb. And day eight, he gets up. And that begins the recreation, the time where God is taking sinful people like you and me and uh, drowning our old sinful natures in the waters of holy baptism and raising to life a new Adam within us, a new man within us, uh, to live before God in peace and joy and 
and comfort and happiness. And uh, that's that whole eighth day theology. Jesus rises on the eighth day. That's why we worship on Sundays and not on Saturday. That's why baptismal fonts have eight sides. That's even in math. That's why the number for infinity is an eight on its side, uh, because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead and granted eternity to all of us. And so all these things reflect the reality that comes about in Jesus and his resurrection. And the beautiful thing is this is really nothing new because God gave us a picture and a foreshadowing of this because when did all the circumcisions take place, Pastor? On the eighth day. On the eighth day. This is a uh, beautiful, beautiful ribbon and bow. Jesus was pointing forward to this new life and this new creation. And anyone who clings to Jesus' death and resurrection has this new life in him. We need to take a short break. This is at home in your hymnal. We're looking at the season of Easter. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't change that dial. at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at the season of Easter. This is episode 14, the uh, intro that we had in this uh, third part of episode 14 was from verse 5 of Luther's great Easter hymn, Christ Jesus Lay in Death's Strong Bands. It's number 458 in your um, uh 458 in your LSB hymnal, and verse 5 says, Here our true Paschal Lamb we see, whom God so freely gave us. He died on the accursed tree, so strong his love to save us. See, his blood now marks our door. Faith points to it, death passes o'er, and Satan cannot harm us. Alleluia. 
Um, I get shivers up my spine just reading those words, not even thinking about the tune. And uh, I hope that over the uh, next year or two or three, that is a hymn that we can uh, lovingly and caringly teach uh, to our choir, through our choir to the congregation, so that everyone can incorporate these great words and this great hymn into their celebration of Easter. Yeah, and it's it sounds hard to learn, but it's not. My uh, my kids, um, nine, seven, five, and three. Your kids all are of not them... normal. Your kids are not normal. Come on, let's be ad- yeah. let's admit it. All of them can sing it, and uh, it once you know it, you just fall in love with it more and more each time you sing it because those words are so fantastic. And and even I don't think our English translation does the German uh, even justice. You know, instead of uh, he loves us, it's Jesus is roasted in hot love, and the strangler can no longer harm us. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. The, well, Bach has a way with words better. too. Yeah. Uh, no doubt, and and with musical notes, and with musical notes. Um, what what I want to talk about in this uh, uh, part three of episode fourteen with regard to the Easter season is the readings that we have in the Gospel of John. We uh, we start out with Palm Sunday. Early in uh, John's gospel, I want to say about John 11 or so, where we have the triumphal entry of Jesus uh, on Palm Sunday. Jesus enters in, and then during Holy Week, Holy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we have long readings from uh, John 12 and John 13. And then on Good Friday... And Easter, we have long readings from John 18, 19, and 20. And now, uh, in this Easter season, we continue on, but we back up. We back up in the Gospel of John, and on uh, Easter Sunday, of course, we get the resurrection from John 20. Uh, Easter Wednesday, we get John 21, one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. But then starting on the second Sunday of Easter, um, we have John 20, where we have, again, another post-resurrection appearance of Jesus and the sending out of the disciples, the office of the keys. And then the third Sunday of Easter, John 10 the Good Shepherd. Fourth Sunday of Easter, John 16. Fifth Sunday of Easter, John 16. Sixth Sunday of Easter, John 16. Seventh Sunday of Easter, John 15 and 16. Um, Pastor, help me out here. Why do we go back in the season of Easter? Why do we go back to the upper room discourse in John 16? Yeah, the farewell discourse, uh, lots of times it's called. It contains the great high priestly prayer. Um, The reason we go back there is um, these are where really Jesus is promising about uh, what the life of the Christian and the church will be uh, once the reality of his death and resurrection happens, uh, where he's talking about how he'll send the Holy Spirit uh, to uh, grow the church, as we we confess in the third article of the Creed. Uh, He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the the entire Christian church on earth. He does that through word and sacrament. Uh, Christ talks about how the fact that he'll always be with us. Uh, Christ talks about the fact that um, uh, the 
the church will exist, and uh, and so it's good for us now that we've seen the reality of Jesus uh, crucified and resurrected to understand what that means for us in our life here and now, and I think that these chapters from John do a good job of uh, teaching us that. So in a sense, the uh, last three Sundays in Easter serve as a bridge from the season of Easter to the joy and celebration of Pentecost, sort of a pre Pentecost uh, celebration or pre-Pentecost preparation in the similar way that our Jesima Sundays uh, prepare us for Lent. Is that a fair way to say it? It it is, and then at the same time, it's also... uh continuing to celebrate the reality that Christ has been raised from the dead. And these things go together then. What's the message that uh, Peter preaches on Pentecost? This Jesus whom you crucified, he raised from the dead. And uh, uh, as a result, uh, the people are cut to the heart of this this message, and Jesus then preaches baptism. Uh, What must we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And so these things go together. Uh, They are really one and the same thing. The message of the church is the resurrection. Uh, It is uh, this whole tale of Jesus, if you will, um, brought to the forefront. It seems that we get ourselves in trouble as a church when we separate things that are supposed to go together. And by separating the joy of the resurrection of Jesus from Good Friday, we get ourselves in trouble. When we separate Good Friday's death of our Savior from the joy of Easter, we get ourselves in trouble. And when we celebrate the work of Jesus in uh, his life, his death, and his resurrection, so much of what we celebrate during this Easter season, from the sending of the Holy Spirit and the mission of the church, which is Pentecost and the Pentecost season, we get ourselves in trouble as well. Is that a fair assessment? It definitely is, and that's uh, uh, the way we always have to approach our faith, is we need to uphold every little bit of it as true and good and right, and that's why we spend so much time in confirmation teaching the faith. That's why we have Bible study where we teach the faith. Um, that's why Luther says in the um, introduction to the small catechism, how could you ever think you could stop learning what God never stops teaching? And uh, that's the reality of the faith. Every little bit of it matters. And if you change even the smallest little bit of the doctrine or leave part of it out, then you've ultimately changed who Jesus is and why he's come. We'll have an opportunity on our uh, sister program, Proclaiming the One, to take an in-depth look at the readings for each of the Sundays of Easter. So we're not going to take our time during this uh, At Home in Your Hymnal look at the overarching theme and season of Easter. We've already said it's a week of weeks of celebration, roughly 50 days, 49 days uh, to be more precise. And uh, we've got some stuff going on during those days. Now, in the early Christian church, they celebrated not only uh, major celebrations on each day in Holy Week, but they also celebrated Easter Monday, Easter Tuesday, Easter Wednesday. Uh, We've pretty well tested our people here at Good Shepherd to the limit by having church every day multiple times during Holy Week. 
And we have three services on Easter Sunday. And then the one remnant of that that we have, we have Wednesday evening service year-round, 6.30, please join us. But we do celebrate Easter Wednesday. And the gospel reading for Easter Wednesday is one of those uh, celebrations, uh, remembrances of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. So I want to read John 21, 1 to 14, and I want to get your reaction, just some highlights that you think that uh, we should be made aware of on this great gospel reading from John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called a twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. That was John 21, verses 1 through 14. Uh, what sticks out at you in that particular gospel, Pastor, uh, for the appointed gospel reading for Wednesday of Easter? First off, I know there's the uh, the joke t-shirt, you know, Jesus uh, said, go fishing. He said nothing about painting the fence, mowing the yard, fixing the sink, or any of those things. And uh, so the disciples are taking Jesus at his word. I think, though, also in a more serious fashion, there's lots of allusions from uh, the Old Testament. We almost have a picture of Jonah uh, where Peter throws himself into the sea with the whole discussion of fish as well. But I, I, the most important thing, I think, is that Jesus is teaching them that they're not going to be fishers of fish anymore. They're going to be fishers of men. Uh, they're going to go out and they're going to uh, preach the gospel, and that gospel is the net that brings people into the church, into the boat. And um, I think especially important in that regard is the phrase uh, when G Peter pulls the fish in, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Uh, all the ones, that's a gospel promise there, all the people that God wants to save, to bring into the church, none shall be lost uh, that are supposed to be in the church. And that's a good news promise for all of us. 
Um, and you also have this idea that Jesus is actually a human being resurrected, a body again. He eats fish. He's not a ghost, you know, uh, the... I think it's the Casper movies that I watched when I was a kid where the ghosts eat and they throw the food into their mouth and it just falls through them and onto the floor in a little pile. That's not Jesus. He is flesh and blood. He can eat again uh, as a resurrected human being. So lots and lots of things in here that we can pay attention to. I can't help but think about the uh, the call of Peter as well when uh, uh, Jesus tells Peter to let down the net and uh, Peter is uh, very skeptical, and he lets down the net, and then all of a sudden he realizes that it is the Lord, and uh, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And, oh, oh, I'm a sinful man. I come from a people of sinful lips. And uh, Jesus calls him, absolves him. And here we have almost a second calling of, uh, of Peter, and it is uh, an amazing, amazing connection to everything that has been about the light of our Lord and Savior Jesus. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. I'd like to listen to more of that, but we do need to get back to our program and not just listen to Bach. Pastor, what in the world were we listening to? Again, another stark contrast. We started out with the joy of Easter and Alleluia's. In our middle two segments, we heard large portions of the Luther Easter hymn, Christ Jesus Lay in Death Strong Bands. And now uh, the people singing were almost giddy. Uh, uh, it was uh, it was just such a, a happy, giddy, joyous time on that music that we heard. What was that? And uh, give us a little bit of a background on that. That was Bach's Easter Oratorio. And in fact, uh, oftentimes today, because people in the music world don't see Bach as a church musician, but rather they just recognize his musical genius. Uh, as a result, uh, lots of times today, they just play the pieces uh, as concerts. And usually the concert that goes together with our opening piece, the Easter Oratorio is this Ascension Oratorio that goes right with it. And so uh, that was the Ascension Oratorio by Bach. 
Okay, thank you. This is uh, episode 14 of At Home in Your Hymnal. We're dedicating this episode to the season of Easter. And one of the major festivals that falls in the uh, season of Easter, in fact, it falls 40 days after Easter, Easter is the ascension of our Lord. We we never have an opportunity to dedicate a proclaiming the one segment to the ascension of our Lord. And in this fourth segment here, we want to take some time and we want to look at the readings and the theology behind the ascension of our Lord. Pastor, uh, it's been my experience that very, very few Christians observe and celebrate the ascension of our Lord. It's become a forgotten festival. And even even more so, even worse, uh, one of the church bodies, the one we belong to, the Lutheran Church, has always had a long and rich and storied heritage with celebrating the theology and the worship surrounding the ascension of our Lord, but that's fallen into disuse in uh, modern times as well. Uh, Some observations maybe on why and why we need to resurrect this day in our worship and especially the theology behind the ascension of our Lord. Yeah, the ascension is something that has kind of disappeared from our uh, church because I think... um, It is a day that always falls on a Thursday, and Thursdays are not days that people usually go to church. Even here at Good Shepherd, we never have a regularly scheduled Thursday evening service. Uh, But in the ancient church and even in the Lutheran church in the uh, uh, olden days, we'd say, uh, they had even a vigil service for the Ascension, where they went to church all night long to celebrate the Ascension. that's kind of fallen out of use because we don't go to church on Thursdays. We go on Sundays, and uh, Wednesdays are okay, too, because we have confirmation. That's kind of the way we see it. Um, Ascension Day is very important, though. It's when Christ ascends into heaven, and he goes uh, to intercede for us, sits at the right hand of God the Father. It's even mentioned in the Creed in that regard. And so it is an important day that we should recognize and celebrate even if it falls on a weird day of the week. Before we get into uh, the the primary reading that I want to look at here is Acts 1, 1 to 11. But before we get into that reading, uh, why is it that Christians really don't know what to do with the ascension of Jesus? Why do we struggle so much? We, we have no problem with the incarnation of our Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, taking on flesh and body, flesh and bone uh, into the Godhead. We have uh, no problem with Good Friday, the death of the body of Jesus. We have no problem with Easter Sunday, the resurrection of the dead body of Jesus. He was dead, but now he's alive. Why is there so much confusion and uh, misunderstanding with regard to his physical bodily ascension into heaven? I, I think there's several reasons, actually. I think one of the big issues that we have is Calvinism. 
uh, which uh, when Jesus gets into heaven, they leave him there as if he can't work still in the church if he's not present in his word and in the sacraments. Uh, and I think that's a big problem. I think rationalism is an issue, trying to put our brain around the fact that uh, uh, this person uh, arose into heaven. I, I think even our modern science, where now we think, you know, we look up and, uh, well, we know there's space up there, and so there's miles and miles of nothing, and, and it's a difficulty in understanding that Christ ascended into heaven. That doesn't just mean he went up and heaven's right floating above the clouds. Rather, he went to the place where God is, which is outside of our time and space. And so I think all these things together confuse people, and maybe that's wise that then we we talk about them and we say, here's what really is happening with ascension. In Mark's gospel, the gospel reading is uh, Mark 16, 14 to 20. Mark's gospel has one verse dedicated to the ascension, verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, we uh, we confess that in the creeds, that Jesus ascended is at the right hand of God. Your uh, comments about Calvinism really throw that, uh, what, what does it mean that Jesus is at the right hand of God? And I want to come back to that in a moment. I want to read from Acts 1. 1 to 11, which is the appointed second reading in the place of the epistle for the ascension of our Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's the epistle reading, or the second reading for the ascension of our Lord, Acts 1, 1 to 11. So here we have the historical account of the bodily, physical resurrection. And it seems to me that even the disciples were confused at this point in time. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Um... They knew that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They had heard him preaching and teaching and had witnessed him alive for 40 days, and yet they still didn't get it. It shouldn't surprise us that there are many who do not get the resurrection and ascension of our Lord and how they tie together. Can you connect some of the dots for us, Pastor? Yeah, the the question that we have to ask is the great Lutheran question, what does this all mean, right? Vas is das. Yes, and um, what it is is that God has in mind the way that the church is going to 
come into existence and even continue in existence. And the way that that's going to happen is by the preaching of the Word uh, and also by the administration of the sacraments. That's why we as Lutherans hold those things uh, so highly today. That's the way God promises to bring a church into existence. The apostles are still a little confused. They're thinking of an earthly kingdom. You know, is this is this the time we're going to kick the Romans out? Is this the time we're going to become this great holy, um, you know, theocracy? And, and and Jesus says, stop, don't pay attention to that idea anymore. Uh, the Holy Spirit's coming, just like I told you in, in all of John's Gospels. The helper, uh, the paraclete, he's going to come. He's going to work through your preaching and through your administration of the sacraments. He's going to create the church. And it's not until the Holy Spirit comes that I think that finally actually clicks for the apostles when they start to go out and they actually preach and the the things Jesus is promising here find their fulfillment in that reality. When they preach the word and administer the sacraments, the church comes into existence. And we actually uh, fall into that same... um, reality today. The reason that you're a Christian, that I'm a Christian, is we've heard the word preached the same way the apostles did. We've been baptized the same way the apostles baptized, and we partake in the Lord's Supper the same way the apostles did. That's why we're in the church. It's uh, it's simply stated in Luther's uh, meaning to the third article of the creed, I believe that I cannot believe by my own reason or strength. And uh, uh, we cannot do it by our reason, by our logic, by our study, by our strength, our power. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the uh, connection not only between Good Friday, Easter, and the Ascension, but also Good Friday, Easter, the Ascension, and Pentecost. We need to look at them uh, together. So, uh, where is Jesus? Some Christians would say, well, Jesus is in my heart. And others would say, Jesus is in heaven. You mentioned uh, the uh, Calvinist doctrine that Jesus is at the right hand of God. Uh, He is physically located there. In fact, he's kind of stuck there. And so uh, Calvinist-type theology ends up being a theology of a real absence of Jesus. Jesus is absent from the church, except as I think about him, or a spiritual presence, or in my heart. We heard in Mark sixteen nineteen that Jesus ascended to the right hand of God. In the time that we have left, Pastor, what does it mean that Jesus is at the right hand of God? And uh, Ephesians says that at the right hand of God, he fills all things. And what does that mean for the Lutheran teaching of the real presence of Jesus? <laughs> we have an hour left to talk about this? No, you have about a minute, Okay, a minute well, and a half. Oh, what it means, uh, Jesus is is uh, at the right hand of God, which means uh, that's a position of power and authority. That's where the uh, chief advisor sits. Uh, If you play chess, the uh, uh, place right next to the king and queen in the chessboard are the bishops who are the advisors. And that way, Jesus is up in heaven. He's interceding, according to Romans 8, uh, to God on our behalf. He's also then present wherever two or more are gathered in his name. And uh, if we look back at the catechism, uh, God's name is holy in itself, but we pray that this petition that God's name be holy among us. And how's that happen? God's name's kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as children of God lead holy lives according to that word. And so uh, wherever 
the word of God is preached and people are gathered, there Jesus is as well. And uh, Jesus is present in the Lord's Supper as he promises to be, this is my body, this is my blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus can be all of these places because he's not only a human being, uh, he is also God. So whereas I, as a human being, uh, am stuck in one position in space and time, Jesus, uh, as a human being who is also God, is not stuck in one place or time. He can be wherever he wants to, whenever he wants to be. And, uh, and he takes advantage of that to be for us all the time, giving us forgiveness, sins, life, and salvation, and creating and sustaining faith within us. Probably more than a minute, but uh, yeah, that's all right. Well, just, we're we're getting close. We're just a little bit long here. I'm reminded of uh, Dr. Norman Nagel, who uh, who used to say on a uh, regular basis, "Jesus does what Jesus wants to do," and uh, we shouldn't be alarmed by that. We should be uh, joyful because of that. Uh, this is at home in your hymnal, episode fourteen, the season of Easter. Uh, Next time when we come back, episode 15, we'll be back to our look at Divine Service Setting 1 in LSB. Enjoy, once again, Bach and the Ascension.